This is our personal myth. Ready? Once upon a time. everyone welcome back to do what you can for the people the show that nobody asked for today i'm here with my beautiful and talented friend alex alex is a permitted creative arts therapist and educator and she's about an inch away from being an officially licensed drama therapist she's gathered experience working with schools and children living with learning differences or emotional difficulties as well as with adults living with chronic and persistent mental illness and addiction so happy to have you on the show today, Alex. So happy to be here. So I brought Alex on the show to talk about anxiety and depression, which has been a chronic issue in our country and globally, um, but I think especially relevant today with what's happening with the pandemic. So we're just going to start off with a few facts that some of you may know, some of you may not. Uh, depression in the United States affects over 18 million adults in any given year, so that accounts for one in 10 American adults, and it's the leading cause of disability for people aged between 15 and 44. General, I didn't know that. You didn't know that? I had no idea that that was the leading cause of disability. That's fascinating. Learn something new every day. Uh, generalized anxiety disorder affects two to four percent of the adult U.S. population, which amounts to about five to nine million people, and has a median age of onset of 31 years, which I found really fascinating because I just turned 30 this year, and I was like, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> um, why we wanted to talk about this again, like I said, is because quarantine is mentally and emotionally taxing, and depression during coronavirus is is gonna happen. There's a higher risk of it happening. So as we all know, there's been a sudden disruption to our routines and the new norm of social distancing means that life as we know it has dramatically transformed and not just in the temporary, but likely for the long run, maybe forever, we're not sure yet. Uh, many of us are facing stress from the news, worries about job or your financial security and being alone certainly doesn't help. It's really putting us at risk for depression. We've got way too much time on our hands and being in isolation can lead to racing thoughts and increased anxiety. Um, and I think one of the things that I read that I found particularly interesting is that dealing with quarantine is very similar to going through the stages of grief. Um, as I was preparing for the session, I realized that today, which is the day we're recording, was actually supposed to be my commencement day for my MBA program. And I've been really sad about it this week. It was supposed to be a week of celebrations with my peers. We've completed this incredible feat. You know, we finished two to three years of grad school. And after class, it ended up being me alone in my apartment, uh, suddenly with a bunch of free time to feel my feels and process everything that's happened over the last two months. And it's been super tough. Yeah. Um, I think that in itself is one of the hardest things about what's going on in the world right now is the fact that we are alone with everything that like, you know, you're used to working with maybe your cohort or with your team at work or whatnot. And like, for those of us who are still engaged in school and work in these things, it's like, we're doing all of it on their own. So there's not the support of your team. There's not the you know, celebrations and or the ability to vent. And we're all just stuck inside with all of this. And it's a lot to process. It really is. It is. And even going outside, like, especially because you live in New York City and I live in Jersey City, but I've heard what it's like in Manhattan. Um, when you go outside, it's not the same hustle and bustle of the city that you're used to. It's much quieter. Everyone's wearing a mask, which is great. Like, we're happy that people are yeah. preserving public health, but it's, it's, palatably different. There's no way you could deny it, which is actually the first stage of grief, denial, the belief that this really isn't happening, which is very much where I was because I had my head down and I was focused on getting through school and launching my business. And I think when school ended on Monday, it just kind of all hit me all of a sudden because I couldn't deny it anymore. And, you know, it's, I, I think the thing about the stages of grief is really fascinating. But I think one of the things to remember about these stages too is that it's not a linear progression. 
right? Like you weave in and out of these stages with whatever's happening and going on. So that's really something to remember. Like I can't tell you how many times I've circled back to anger. Just like being so frustrated yeah. with all of this and having to sit with it in my home. And I think what you're speaking towards about going outside right now is very accurate because like it's really important to get that fresh air, to leave your apartment, to do all that. But it's not as if taking a walk is essentially relaxing because you're wearing a mask. Everyone's wearing a mask. You're, and especially in Manhattan, like I live a couple blocks from Central Park, which I'm at, on one hand, super grateful for. And on the other hand, con constantly made more and more anxious by because people like are all biking on this giant path and like, there is no real social distancing. Like you're passing right by, it's still New York in its essence and everyone's going to the park. So it's like, the biggest thing that's happened to me recently is I realized that someone propped the door to my roof. So now all of a sudden I have this like oasis upstairs where I can go and get 10 minutes of fresh air without having to wear a mask. And it's one of the best things that's happened to me in the last three months. And that's a crazy thing, right? That like just finding an open fresh patch air open fresh patch air, look at me, an open patch of fresh air can be such a relieving oasis in this time. Absolutely. Like I love living in an urban setting, but I think this has really made me wish that, man, I wish I had a house with a backyard, the privacy of a lawn where I could just lay out and read my book and hang out. Like it's just, it's, I would be very interested to see what's going to happen to urban living after this. And that's a whole other episode. And we can certainly talk about that <laughs> another time. But let's get back to talking about mental health and why mental health matters, not just in quarantine, but in general. Um, most people know this. It's not a groundbreaking revelation. It's poor mental health can affect all other aspects of your life, your physical health, your job, your relationships. If you're a parent, your kids are at risk for picking up on your behavior. They could become depressed. And we're not saying at all that you should suppress your feelings. Your feelings are totally valid and actually should be addressed as soon as you recognize them because you need to process them and you need to get professional help if need be. And that's really what I wanted to bring Alex on today to talk about because she's a professional who deals with this stuff in the form of drama therapy. Um, I'll be honest with you, before you became a drama therapist, I had no idea what drama therapy was. So why don't we start there? Why don't you tell us what drama therapy is? Okay, so I'll be honest, before I became a drama therapist, I really had no idea what drama therapy was. So I used to be an actor, director, and theater teacher. And I went into the teaching field and lost my mind a little bit. Um, like, absolutely lost my mind. Not because teaching itself was awful, but because the system is really problematic in a lot of ways. And I was in a lot of stress. So when I left teaching, I knew that I wanted to do something that still had my creative aspirations involving theater, but also did something to help people, but wasn't based in instruction, wasn't based in like having to meet certain criteria every year and certain goals and certain really test scores. Let's be realistic. This is what our country's education system has become. And one of the things that I also experienced during my teacher career is something that I know a lot of people are familiar with, especially if you've worked in schools and or mental health, and that's burnout. Mm -hmm. um, burnout is something that's very real in our world, in our country especially, where we have such a work is your identity kind of culture. And so I really, in becoming a drama therapist, I actually went through a process that was really healing for me. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know how to fully answer the question, what is drama therapy? Because yeah. it's, I could talk to you about it for days. There are so many different modalities. There are so many different ways of doing it. But the simplest answer I can give is this. Drama therapy is a form of psychotherapy that uses theatrical techniques as therapeutic interventions. And theatrical techniques can be anything from something as simple as storytelling or role play or improvisation to something as specific as puppetry or masks or um, actually using lighting and spectacle and performance as a way of going through a therapeutic process. Now, um, for those of us who are drama therapists, we work under what's called a creative arts therapy license. 
So drama therapists, music therapists, art therapists, and um, dance movement therapists all practice under this license. So within a clinical setting, I really try to call myself a creative arts therapist because I'll be honest with you, most clinical settings don't give the space for like full drama therapy sessions and not just the space, the funding, the materials, the everything you need, right? So I do a whole lot of different stuff, but I'll talk to you a little bit about kind of two major modalities that I've been trained in in drama therapy. And one, the first one I want to kind of just give you a brief overview of is called role theory. So my program, I was trained at NYU, and my program was started by a very influential and creative genius named Robert Landy. And so Robert Landy came up with this idea that the, per the human personality isn't just made up of like one thing, right? We don't have one like authentic self or identity. He, I'll never forget the day I met that man. He actually told me he hated that term, the authentic self. And I was like, huh? Because like when you think about, you know, mental health and being like integrated and healthy, people use the word authentic all the time. Like, who are you, your true self? And as if there's one. As if there's one thing that we are, right. Yeah. And the truth really is, and I believe in this so strongly, our personalities are made up of all the many roles we play in our lives. So if you think about it, right, you interact really differently with your parent than you do your best friend. Mm. You interact really differently with your partner than you do with a child in your life, right? And so based on where we are in our lives, who we're with, whether it's a professional setting, a social setting, whatever, we embody different roles. And so the cool thing about this role system that we all have going on within ourselves is that one, we have the ability to generate new roles. Mm -hmm. And two, we have the ability to change and or discard old roles that are no longer serving us. Huh. So I'll give a very brief example. I work in a men's inpatient rehab. Um, so I work a lot with very, very um, oppressed men. And I'm talk when I say oppressed, I'm talking they're dealing with circumstances of past incarceration and trauma, parole, um, homelessness, severe medical conditions. And most of these people are dealing with immense amounts of shame and guilt. So a lot of the work that I do with them on an individual basis is taking roles that have kept them kind of locked into these cycles of addiction and pushing them to recognize what about these roles actually was helpful to them at one time while also pushing them to see how these roles no longer serve them, right? So I do a lot of goodbye letters. I even will, like, I've even done groups where we have funerals for these roles that we're ready to, like, say goodbye to. And it's a really powerful process of being able to recognize, okay, in a, some ways my addiction may have helped me survive, but if I keep engaging in the behaviors that this role plays, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to end up in horrific circumstances that I want to avoid. And so it's this idea of also then, what are the roles that give you strength? What are the roles that can bring you back to a sense of yourself that you enjoy and understand and helps you to grow? So I, I love role theory. I love doing this. And there's so many other things you can do with it, but I won't share every secret I have. Um, and the second type of drama therapy I want to talk about today is actually technically not drama therapy. So for those of you watching, I wanna make this distinction because the people who have trained me would absolutely be embarrassed if I didn't. Um, but it's called psychodrama, which sounds horrifying if you think of it, psycho and drama. But Don't think if, about it too hard. But if you look at it from an etymology perspective, it's the drama of the mind and soul. That's what mm. psyche means, right? So psychodrama is really interestingly enough a um, older, way older than drama therapy. This was actually formed in the early 1900s by a man named Jacob Levy Moreno. And basically what he allowed this, this form of embodied therapy, I'll call it, because it's not technically drama therapy, is you have a group of people and it's almost always done in a group setting. You can do it with individuals, but it's a little different. 
where people get to either kind of reenact parts of their life or speak to a piece of themselves or but basically they get to enact whatever drama they need to enact to reach a place of healing and the way it works is there's a director who kind of leads the person and sets the scene creates this environment um, and you choose from the group the characters you need to have in your story um, you actually embody those roles for them through a pro process called role reversal mm. you train them in how to play these roles and you essentially come to fulfill the contract that you set out with a director as to what you want to experience so I'll give an example of my own. I'm in psychodrama training currently. Um, this is something that I continue to do after school, but right before I started this new relationship that I'm in, I had all these feelings of like really being anxious about it and being scared and didn't know if I wanted to kind of take that jump. And what I did was in this psychodrama group, I had a contract with the group that I just wanted to like get to know like the different aspects of his personality a little more to see if this would be a good thing for me. So I trained three different people in my group and how to play different aspects of this person who's now become my partner and someone who I'm very in love with. And it was just, it was actually so much fun. Like to just get to like play out this, these potential experiences I might have. And the crazy thing is, all of these parts of his personality have become like parts of him that I like love interacting with and have like, it's, it's weird, but psychodrama can really help you see things that you can't just think in your head. Yeah. I don't know if I'm explaining this. No, I think you are. I think what I picked up on both of those techniques that you talked about is it's reframing, reframing your viewpoint, reframing the situation. And that always brings me back to this, motto that I have in life is that you can't change what's happening in the external world. You can only change how you view it and how you react to it. And I think that's really core to what you do. Yeah, it is. And weirdly enough, that really reminds me too of, you know, I'm not saying I'm a religious or spiritual person, but I work in the field of addiction. So one thing that comes up a lot is the serenity prayer. And if you are not familiar, the serenity prayer is something that's said at the end of every single AA or NA or self-help meeting of this kind. That is essentially asking for the courage to, no, I'm sorry, let me rephrase. Allow me to, it's basically asking you to let, I don't know the words exactly, but let go of the things that you cannot control to give you courage to to change the things you can and the wisdom to know the difference. And I think especially right now, this is so key because there's so much that's out of our control and it's really easy to fall into those stages of grief because of that, right? The, the bargaining, the denial, the anger, and we can't control any of it. Yeah. We can't control us. We can't control ourselves and our mindsets. And so reframing, as the word you use, is such a good way of putting it because all we have to be doing is constantly reframing, constantly practicing gratitude for what we do have in these times, which is a lot, actually. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to think about it. Um, so just getting back to some of our notes for this call, we talked a little bit about how these tools are appropriate for anxiety, depression, and trauma. Is there anything that you wanted to touch on there that we may have missed um, just now? Absolutely. So anxiety is essentially, right, excessive racing thoughts or worrying to the point where it really impedes your functionality, your ability to get the things you need to get done in life. And I think, and I'm talking about anxiety, depression, and trauma here, we throw these words around very lightly. We really do. We do. We can be like, when we're stressed often, we're like, oh my God, I'm so anxious. Stress and anxiety are very different things. Um, we all experience stress. We all get worried, right? But what you want to remember about anxiety is anxiety is, can feel like the point to where you can't slow down your thoughts enough to even think them through. 
where you are so worried about something that you all of a sudden recognize that you've been sitting somewhere for two hours and haven't done anything. Um, or even just total procrastination, right? Sometimes we're so anxious that the thoughts aren't even racing. We're just like, nope. Can't deal with it. We binge the Netflix or the wine or the whatever it might be, right? And push it and push it and push it away because we cannot deal. So in terms of anxiety, here's a few kind of creative arts therapy things that I like to engage in and that I think can be really helpful. For one thing, engaging in any kind of guided imagery exercises or mindfulness meditations, that's a huge, huge help for anxiety, right? Um, one thing that I really like to do when I'm feeling extremely anxious, especially at work, is I'll do a little guided imagery exercise with myself um, that I'll just kind of take a moment. Usually I'll try to go to a bathroom or something, especially if I'm work, because just to get some space of my own for a minute. And I'll envision an ocean with lots of sailboats sailing through. And on every single sailboat, I place one thing that I'm just worried about. I love that. Yeah. And just, I watch the sailboats float off into the horizon and just one by one, and I'll take like two minutes to just deeply breathe while I do this. And this is a really helpful, just kind of guided imagery. And it could be whatever, it doesn't have to be sailboats, right? I actually stole this from a mindfulness meditation that I was leading once, and this was having leaves on a stream. I like the ocean, so I made it up, right? But whatever you wanna do with it, it's yeah. some idea about how do you have this idea about there are your worries, they're still there, but you can let them go for the time being just to focus on what you need to do. And it's a little bit more instructive than just go to your happy place. Like that's never resonated with me. I really like the idea of going to a happy place, but doing something there to like mitigate your anxiety. That's really wonderful. Um, the other thing I'll really suggest is, and I mentioned mindfulness, but mindfulness meditations are huge. Um, learning how to be present with what you're going through rather than pushing it away is something that I'm really working on too. Like, and, and don't get me wrong. We all say mindfulness and meditate. Like it's something easy. It's so not, hard. It's so hard. So if you sit there and you're like, Oh fuck, I'm so bad at meditating. That's okay. So am I like, I'm so bad at it. And I run meditation groups every week. Right. The first time I tried to meditate, I straight up fell asleep and I thought that there was something wrong with me because I was like, why can't I do this? But I realized it was quite normal actually to fall asleep. So normal to fall asleep. And it's also so, so normal to like give up after five minutes. Oh, a hundred percent. Because you're just like, ugh. But the other, the piece of mindfulness that I really like too is when it connects with your physical body. So doing something like a body scan or progressive muscle relaxation is a hugely helpful tool for anxiety. Because the other thing that happens with anxiety rather than just the racing thoughts and excessive worrying is we store anxiety and tension in our bodies. Oh gosh. And I know that, especially, and I've experienced this during COVID and I know a lot of people have too, but sore necks, sore backs, just this like tension throughout our bodies because we don't have an outlet for it. We're not moving around in the same way we all once were. Just progressive muscle re relaxation is something I've learned a lot about in the past year. And it's really helpful. Just kind of literally going head to toe and tensing and releasing with breath, right? With focus and going through your entire body can be an incredibly relieving exercise when you have anxiety. Um, more specifically in terms of drama therapy, we use a lot of warm-ups and theater games um, in our sessions. And this is, I find this so helpful when I'm anxious because it gets you out of your head. Mm -hmm. It gets you just being silly and funny and like really just responding with your physical self rather than being all up here, which is where we get stuck when we're anxious. Absolutely. And so just like literally, and this is going to sound silly, but one of the things we do a lot in drama therapy is sound and movement warm-ups. So literally like show me how you're feeling in a sound and movement. And I'll do this even at my men's rehab. And literally sometimes they're just like, Ugh. and that's something like that's communicating something to me. Right. When I do this with a bunch of drama therapy people, we're all over the place going like, yeah! <laughs> right. And it's, but it's an, expression of that and sometimes a sound can express way better what we're feeling than like words absolutely 
Um, it's funny that you say that also because in the business world, something that people always encourage you to do is to take an improv class if you want to be better at public speaking. Um, just because it gets you to think on the fly and it gets yeah. you to not take yourself as seriously. And if you fuck up, you fuck up, it's fine, move on, the and yet type thing. You know, it's 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 really a great tool for getting out of your head, like you said. Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the reasons I've been in theater my entire life is because the truth is I've always struggled with anxiety. I have for my entire life and whether I was choosing to recognize it or not, right? Theater allows you an escape from your current reality. It allows you to be someone else, play someone else, feel like you can be in a different space and time in the same space and time you're in. And so in that, like, and let's be real, we're all finding different forms of escapism right now. We're all Netflix binging. We're all in Zoom calls all day, right? We are not in the reality that we're in. Because fuck this reality. <laughs> right? It's awful. It's terrible. <laughs> um, what was, you just said something. Oh, the public speaking piece. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things I've actually done in my drama therapy training was I worked for a small business run by licensed drama therapists where they did public speaking consultation from a drama therapy perspective. That's actually something I really want to get back into in my work. But for those of you who are looking for just like, I wouldn't even say public speaking as, but just communication skills in general, improv classes, theater classes, drama therapy, things like that are hugely important when you want to just improve your communication skills in general. Because, and this is part of what drama therapy does as well, but it just increases your ability to be spontaneous. And spontaneity is something that, especially in these days when we're all locked at home, is lacking, right? We can't be spontaneous in a lot of the ways we're used to being spontaneous. However, we can be spontaneous in the way we're expressing ourselves. And Absolutely. that's going to be something that people are looking for, especially as, let's be real, when we come out of this, a lot more people are going to be working from home because they realize that they can be. And so... We have to learn new ways of interacting. We have to learn how to still be our fully creative and expressionful selves in this platform because we don't have the full body language to be able to communicate for us. We're on in a box. So what can you do with this box? Yeah, you can wave your hands, you can scream, you can make funny faces. Yeah, it's so true. Right. But just even like learning how to tell a story mm -hmm. is going to be more animated than you would just how you would be talking. Right. Um, but moving on, uh, let's see what else. Yeah. In general, I think for anxiety, drama therapy is really helpful because it gets you in your body, right? It gets you physical. It gets you moving. It gets you out of your head. Yes. And a lot of times when people think therapy, they think sitting on a couch and talking and it doesn't just have to be that at all. Therapy can actually be fun. That's... Oh. Whoa, <laughs> I know. Therapy can actually be fun. I believe you. Yeah. Um, now, in terms of depression, depression's tough because when you are truly, like people use depressed a lot to mean sad. When you are truly depressed, it's more like you just don't want to do anything. And you feel that so fully, like it's in your body like getting up to wash your face or take a shower is a true exercise in futility because you just can't do it. You just mm -hmm. can't do it. So what I'll say about depression is this. I think drama therapy can be helpful with depression if we go and look at role theory because that is where you can be like, okay, I am stuck in my depressed role right now, but this is not the only thing that I have to offer the world right? There are, I have had times in my life where I have played a caretaker role. I have had times in my life where I've played a, right, and go through in your head and think, okay, what are the ways these roles can help me right now? Because the true, and here's the thing, if you are actually suffering from real clinical depression, I highly, 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 highly suggest you seek professional help. And whether that means a therapist, whether that also means a psychiatrist, I am a big proponent of medications and 
therapy if they are necessary, right? Um, I have seen people who have been so stuck in depressive loops and I've tried every intervention I know in my toolbox. And then I sent them for a psych eval to see our psychiatrist and three days later on a new medication, they're finally getting up out of bed and smiling at me at sessions, right? And able to do the work that I'm presenting to them. So when you are really suffering from clinical depressions, antidepressants, SSRIs are always an option. What I will say is do not just take whatever antidepressant your friend said they take and works for them. Every body is different. Every person reacts to different medications in different ways. So if you are really struggling with depression, please seek mental health professionals, please. And please understand that the first medication you try might not be the one for you. You're going to go through a process of figuring out and also be aware that every medication has side effects. Right. And so if you are a person who doesn't like to take medications, that's not saying that you have to. There are hundreds of different self-care techniques we can engage in. I can't speak enough to the effects of physical exercise for depression because we can build natural serotonin and dopamine in our own bodies. Um, but depression is very, very serious. And I, one of the things I just want to say is that Drama therapy, like we spoke about before in terms of public speaking, is really good at strengthening your communication skills and allowing you a better way to express yourself. And so I want to speak to that again when it comes to depression, because when people are depressed, a lot of times people are like, come on, just get up, take a shower, you snap yourself out of it, right? Never that easy. It's not how it works. Never that easy. And also when you're truly depressed, it's very hard to express what's going on with you. And, and people want to know why. <sighs> people often want to know why. And, and there isn't a why. There isn't a why. There isn't a, this happened, so now I'm depressed, right? That more speaks to the next thing we were going to talk about, which is trauma. And again, people say I'm traumatized really easily. So I want to define really clearly what a trauma is. Um, a trauma is an experience, an event, right? That is either life-threatening and or you witness something that is a serious injury or life-threatening or particularly horrifying, right? Um, so this can be anything from undergoing a sexual assault, undergoing a physical assault. Um, these are what we call the big T traumas, right? Um, witnessing a horrific car accident, even right being in combat, which is the classic understanding of PTSD, but by far not the only one. Um, and then we have our little T traumas, our relational traumas, our emotional traumas, right? That are also very real. They don't often have the same effects that leave us with PTSD though. Um, but I'll give you an example, right? So a child who is consistently berated for being, for um, breaking things or dropping things or being clumsy, right? Is going to have a reaction for probably a very long time to dropping things or breaking things and think that everyone around them is gonna be all, all on top of them, right? But that's, that's what it's something that I'd consider like a little T trauma. But here's the thing. Trauma leaves wounds. Trauma mm -hmm. leaves scars. And what happens when you undergo a trauma, for those of you who have done some research, you may have heard of this, is what's called fight or flight response. So this is one of the oldest parts of your brain. It's, called, it's part of the limbic system. And we have this in our systems to actually keep us safe from predators that attack us, right? This is a biological response. But what happens when somebody has undergone a trauma and then is showing PTSD symptoms is that when we're in environments where we feel threatened, and that can be anything from being in an enclosed space, like an elevator, being in a crowd where we don't see escape ready, hearing a loud noise, mm -hmm. right? Where our flight or fight system gets reactivated and it immediately can transport you back to that experience, which is why you hear about people with traumas having flashbacks, having nightmares, um, dissociating. 
being not present in the moment because they're reliving their traumas. So drama therapy actually can be highly effective for treating trauma because really what trauma is, if you think about it in a creative sense, is it's a loss of imagination. You become stuck in this traumatic loop and therefore unable to imagine what a future could look like, unable to imagine how, um, if that could have ha happened differently, if it could, if you can be okay again, right? And so, Rather than talk about how drama therapy can treat trauma, because I think it's really specific to the case yeah. and has to be, I actually want to direct you to a really cool movie that was something I learned about in grad school and it was something that became even more popular with the movie Welcome to Marwin by Steve Carell. I don't know if any of you have seen that or have seen the trailers for it, but um, so this was this movie that Steve Carell made was actually based on a documentary from several years ago about a man who was physically assaulted by five other people at a bar and had a horrific tra traumatic brain injuries and was left for dead. When he came to, he had no memory of who he was. Whoa. Exactly. And so um, he exhausted all of the state mental health services available to him and after that was still Obviously not okay. And what this man did was he actually, in his backyard, created this uh, miniature scale World War II scenario made of action figures. And he retold stories again and again of his little action figure that was his character. Um, essentially defeating opposing troops and being rescued over and over and over again. And what this man was essentially doing was he was replaying his trauma in a distanced projective form. And he was restoring what happened to him, even though he had no memory of it, right? His body held it in some way. And he was inspired to create this universe in which he could make sense of who he was again through a through essentially dolls action figures and a period of time in which he never lived and i remember being incredibly moved by this documentary and story when i saw it because it was like wow so we can actually create a fictional environment in which you can make sense of what happened to you and heal and so I would highly recommend you guys go check out the movie, the documentary. Um, I actually even wrote it down, marwencole.com. That's M-A-R-W-E-N-C-O-L.com. I would check out the story in the documentary. I, I've actually never seen the Steve Carell movie. I only saw the trailers, but I kind of didn't want to see it. So it's like when Hollywood takes on real people's stories, yeah. they always, you know. I'll be sure to drop that link in the description box below for yeah. anyone who's seeking that out. But that's a kind of real world example of, and, and he did this on his own, mind you. This is not a drama therapist leading him through this, right? But drama therapists use things like dolls, action figures all the time, especially with children who have experienced trauma, because what they'll do is they'll build stories mm -hmm. and in which they express things that they could never just straight up tell you. And essentially, at the end of the day, this is what drama therapy does. Drama therapy provides stories, metaphors, a different type of platform to be able to express yourself when talking about it truthfully and upfront in front of someone is just too hard or inaccessible for a number of reasons. Whether you're a child, whether you're someone who has endured a traumatic brain injury, whether you're someone who experiences persistent and chronic mental illness, right? It accesses new ways to be able to express yourself, to be able to learn new skills and be able to process symptoms, traumas, different things that you are experiencing in life. Love that. Um, we made a list of some other things you can do. And just in the interest of time, I'm gonna drop all of that in the description box below as well because none of these are particularly groundbreaking. What I really want to do is you've prepared a little live demo exercise so that we can show the people what a drama therapy tool might look like. So let's jump into that. Cool. 
So um, today I've prepared a little storytelling exercise that we're going to do. And you can use storytelling in a thousand different ways in therapy. Um, but today we're going to write a myth together. And mythology is something personal that I love. I've loved it since I was a child. And it's actually something I've learned how to integrate into my therapeutic practice. For example, I run groups all the time where I work, where I use a portion of the, the story of the Odyssey as a way for men to understand what it's like to resist temptation and have a support system to hold you down, right? The fact that, you know, men in a rehab in Harlem can get things from an old Greek text is blow, mind blowing and awesome and so much fun. But today we're gonna write a personal myth. So, you guys know mythology was created essentially for people to write stories about the phenomenon in the world they could not otherwise explain. A personal myth is a kind of way to take elements of yourself and project them into a kind of magical format of a story. Ooh. So I'm not going to show you the template right away. Okay. I'm going to treat this as kind of more like a Mad Lib exercise. Let's do it. And then when we're halfway done, I will show you all the template. So, Nikki, I would love to ask you, I'm just gonna ask you as it, we do in Mad Libs for different types of words. So okay. the first thing is, can you give me either a mythical creature or figure? This will be the main character of our story. Let's go with a pixie. Okay. Sorry, typing and computer things aren't working. Okay. Pixie. And a name, please. Priscilla. Good luck spelling that one. I, I'm a good speller. <laughs> okay. Now, please give me three adjectives. Curly. Mm-hmm. Drunk. Okay. And smart. Great. Uh, can you give me a place? Uh, Cabo. <laughs> Clearly, I've got vacation on the mind. <laughs> really? And a... Um, and a name of another creature or creatures. Hmm. What about dragons? Excellent. Okay. What is one of your must-do daily activities? Make my bed. I hate typing. Okay. And what is your favorite thing? Like ever? To do or what's your, uh, your favorite thing about your life? Um, working in sustainability. Okay. And what is your life's greatest wish? Mm. To buy an island. And what is your greatest obstacle towards buying an island? Is money too cliche? <laughs> it's your personal myth, your story. Yeah, let's go with money. I'd need a lot of money. Okay. So can you give me another activity that you would like to engage in? Uh, I would like to adopt five dogs. Oh, sorry. An activity you regularly engage oh, in. Oh, I engage, regularly engage in. Um, I make coffee. Is that too basic? Nope. And last but not least, a big life-changing event. 
trying to not go for the obvious uh, life-changing event, the birth of a child. Okay. So, the first half of our story is done. Okay. That is the fun part. All right, guys. So, I am going to now share this with you guys. All right. So, I'm excited. Oh, we can't share. Okay. Let's yeah, see. I'm going to. Would you prefer me to just read it? Is it, a, is it a Google Doc? Not a Google Doc. Okay. Yeah, just read it. Okay. So, this is our personal myth. Ready? Once upon a time, there was a pixie named Priscilla. It was very curly, drunk, and smart. It lived in Cabo San Lucas with dragons. Every day, it would make its bed. Its favorite thing about its life was its work and sustainability. And more than anything, this drag, this pixie wanted to buy an island. The only problem was that it needed a lot of money to buy an island. And one day it was making coffee when suddenly a child was born. <laughs> and from this point, you and I would finish the story. Oh my so, goodness. Exactly. So, Nikki, how is our pixie Priscilla going to solve its problem of a child being born and not having enough money to buy its island? Oh, geez. That's a good one. I think the first thought I came up with was to make a, like, assemble a little coalition of new pixie moms. Okay. New, new okay. pixie moms. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. And together we would pool our resources and see if we could do like a timeshare on an island because we ever, who doesn't want an island, right? And maybe we could all take turns visiting it or maybe we could like have an annual trip, all of us pixie moms and we would go and rent an Airbnb on an island and just kind of find the happy medium because also I don't necessarily, I think the shift in perspective there is like, oh, shit, I have a pixie baby now. Maybe I, buying an island isn't the best idea, mm. but why wouldn't I still treat myself to an island vacation every once in a while? Hmm. So as a therapist, I would process some of this with you, right? I would say, so let's think about this in relation to what's going on in the world, right? Mm. To be realistic that all the things we really want right now aren't attainable, but what can we do with our community to be able to coordinate, to be able to get help? right? Because clearly this is too much for you to take on all on your own, right? And so we would look at some of these themes, right? There's a longing for connection here. Mm -hmm. There's a longing for some big change and recognizing that the goals we might have had before might not be or might need to be edited as we move forward in this new world with our new, what's the word I'm looking for? Responsibilities. Mm -hmm responsibilities and also I think just what I took away from what I said was holding on to one idea of what your life should be like isn't healthy it isn't good and if you don't adjust and shift and try and find the positive and ways to incorporate your dream and adapt it into the reality that you live in then you're not going to be a very happy person in the long run. Mm -hmm. And I might also ask you, right, because when I asked you about a big life-changing event, one of the first things you said was, hmm, okay, I'm trying not to go for the obvious here, but why? Why not? Why, what was the obvious thing that immediately popped into your Coronavirus. head? Coronavirus. Right, that was avoided, right? So then even just in the process of creating the story together, picking up what you're, you know, the first thing that pops into your head, what you're saying, why you put down what you did and what that means to you, right? We might explore the child in this more if this was a full therapy session right but you see how much can come out of just like a simple very simple template of a story yeah that was super fun <laughs> that was fun <laughs> it could have gotten so much worse um i'm glad that knowing the two of us that absolutely <laughs> could have gotten worse but <laughs> um i think with that i'll just say that this has been really insightful and helpful and I'm so 
grateful for the incredible work that you're doing, Alex, every day. Um, it has never been more important, I think, in the world to have people like you who are finding creative ways to help people deal with all this really tough shit, to be quite honest. Um, I'll be including links and details for everything that you mentioned in the description box below, as well as ways for people to find you and get in touch. But is there any closing words that you might have? Yes. So this is a period of significant isolation. And I know that for a lot of people, right, who do struggle with mental health issues, a lot of the coping tools that we use have been taken away. So I highly, highly recommend you keep reaching out, right? Reach out to your friends who are being quieter than usual. Reach out to mental health professionals virtually if you feel like you're struggling. I actually have been thinking about doing that myself, right? Trust me, your mental health professionals struggle too. We all do, right? Okay. This, is, this is unprecedented times right now. And the biggest thing that I have to say is if old patterns are coming up, if feelings of depression and anxiety are getting too much to manage, first of all, give yourself a break. Give yourself a break. Like, it's okay. It's okay to be really anxious right now. It's okay to be depressed right now. It's okay for all this stuff to come up. You don't have to be watching the videos on Facebook of people baking bread and doing a thousand productive things like cleaning out their closet and compare yourself to them. Because the truth is, it's silly. Honor what you're experiencing. Reach out to your people. Reach out to professionals if you need to. And please do what you can to take care of yourselves. I'm sending all my love out there to all of you. Thank you for watching. Thank you for being here with me and my meatball. I love that we're also both wearing the hoops. Yeah, I was. I noticed that earlier. <laughs> of course we are. Of course uh, we are. <laughs> thank you, Alex, and everyone else. Uh, please stay tuned for next week's episode. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. <laughs>